thank you, uh, Mandy, for reading God's Word to us this morning. I just want to begin by saying that it was not my idea to dress up as Neville the Shark. <laughs> and it was not my idea to have the memory verse stuck to things that I had to vomit up. <laughs> Those decisions were made by somebody further up the line than me. So I will not take account, I'm not, you know, that's not my responsibility. <laughs> So as we begin uh, this series, I want to remind you uh, that we have a question time after the sermon. If you'd like to ask a question, you can do so using slido.com with the hashtag HBS. I will be uh, looking at those questions after the sermon. Well, today we are beginning a new series on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. We will be taking eight weeks to go through these three chapters. Eight weeks in some of the best-known parts of Jesus' teaching. In these chapters, and what was read to us this morning, was the Beatitudes. In these chapters, we have the Lord's Prayer. In these chapters, we have passages like, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. And passages like, look at the birds in, of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Passages like, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And in these chapters, we have them conclude with Jesus' famous comparison between the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. All these and so much more is found in these three chapters. The Sermon on the Mount is oftentimes referred to as the best known but least understood and obeyed part of Jesus' teaching. And so as we go through these chapters, I wonder if this is true for you. I wonder, is this the best known but least understood and obeyed part of Jesus' teaching for you? If this is so, then I hope you will join with me in spending time examining these chapters, spending time understanding them, being challenged by them, and obeying them. I've simply called this series here the Sermon on the Mount, and that's the heading that we see uh, in, at the beginning of chapter 5. And as we look at this Sermon on the Mount, we are looking at this as one continuous teaching time by Jesus. It is one teaching time where he sits down with his disciples and begins to teach them. And his main focus is on teaching his disciples. But what happens is that as he's teaching his disciples, a crowd gathers also to hear what Jesus has to say. And so look with me at the very end of chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 28, at what it says. Chapter 7, 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, 
the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not their scribes. The question posed for us as we hear what Jesus has to say is, are we willing to have the same reaction as the crowds? Are we willing to acknowledge Jesus' authority and continue every day to be astonished by what he says to us? It is my prayer that as we study these chapters, we will not turn to the right or to the left from what is written here, because the authority of Jesus compels us to move forward to the goal that is waiting for us in heaven. This sermon series will remind us of the profound truth that the kingdom of heaven is only accessible through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one with all authority. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, and giving him all authority on heaven and on earth. We ask you now for your help as we spend time in your word. Give us the ability to trust in your word and the desire to obey it in every aspect of our lives. For we know that we can only depend on you. In your name we pray. Amen. What does it mean for us here today to believe that God wants to set apart a people for himself? A people that he will call his own. A people that are to be holy and to obey him. In the Old Testament, after God rescued his people out of Egypt, he established a covenant with them, declaring that he would be their Lord and God. They were to be his special people. They were to be different from everyone else. They were to follow his commands and not follow the nations around them. This was God's intention for his people. They were to be holy and set apart. And because God set them apart from everyone else, his intent was that every other nation would see them and be attracted to him. They were set apart to be a witness for God. But we see in the Old Testament that their witness became ineffective because they wanted to be like the other nations around them. They appointed king after king and became idolatrous like the other nations around them. Time and time again, God warned his people through the prophets to turn back to their Lord, their God, to follow his commands, but God's people would not listen. And therefore, judgment was inevitable and they were punished because they had sinned against God and followed the practices of the nations around them. But in God's mercy, a remnant was kept, and through the prophets, 
be one who will come to make things right again. And at the beginning of this gospel, Matthew intends to guide us through Jesus' early life, showing he is the Messiah that they are waiting for. In the genealogy in chapter 1, it describes how Jesus fits into the family where this Messiah would be born. When Jesus was born, he is given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this was all done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. And in chapter 2, what is written about his early life, the visit from the wise men, the flight to Egypt, Herod killing the children, is all there to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. And in chapter 3, we see, the, we see John the Baptist come, and he preaches the same message that has been preached by the prophets in the Old Testament. Throughout all of Israel's history, the same message of as Isaiah the prophet, the same message as every other prophet. John the Baptist preaches, and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus comes and is baptized by John in chapter 3. And when Jesus is baptized, the point is made crystal clear. Read with me his baptism from uh, Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And soon after this, John the Baptist, we are told, is imprisoned. He is arrested, and at this point, Jesus begins his ministry. And as he does, look at what happens in chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist was the one who preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now Jesus preaches the same thing. Jesus continues preaching where John left off, but he takes it further. Jesus now sets out to describe this kingdom. And so in the Sermon on the Mount before us, Jesus' message is all about the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom for those who are to be a holy people. And so read with me, as we begin at chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick 
those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, What Jesus says next divides everyone into two categories. It divides everyone into two camps, into two kingdoms. Those who accept and those who reject. Those who hear and believe and those who hear and do not believe. Those who repent and those who do not Jesus is preaching a sermon on repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for those who listen, whether it was on that mountain many years ago or here through the pages of the Bible in front of us today, the decision is ours. The decision to either believe in the authority of Jesus and what he says here, to accept it and repent, or not. And so Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. Eight blessings. And as Jesus describes them, we should find them somewhat surprising who Jesus says are blessed, are unlikely. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are deprived, who are unfortunate, who are underprivileged in spirit. He says, blessed are those who mourn, that is, those who grieve and who lament. He said, blessed are the meek, those who are humble, who are submissive, and who are gentle. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are racked by guilt, those who are not okay with their sin. He said, blessed are the merciful, that is, those who show mercy and compassion. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. That is, those who are unadulterated and steadfast. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who are mediators. And Jesus lastly says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Those who are wronged, who are mistreated, and who are victimized. This list that Jesus describes here, who Jesus considers to be blessed, are not those valued by our world. And so we must ask ourselves, are these the things that we diligently seek and value? If they are qualities that God values, do they mean more to us 
than those that the world esteems. Things like the approval of our loved ones or, or our workmates or colleagues, or like striving after our own selfish desires and aspirations. We are our own worst enemies. At least I know I can be. Oftentimes I would prefer what the world sells me as happiness rather than finding my contentment and value in what God has to offer me. It's not always easy to say that God is in control of everything and to accept our lot in life, whatever that looks like for us. It is not easy to take satisfaction in knowing that to be blessed and approved by God is the highest value given to us. It's hard to realize that this life will be tough, even though we are promised that there will come a day when we will stand before God our Maker and He will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. I can remember uh, growing up, I just happened to be the middle child in my family. I have an older brother and sister, and I've also got a younger sister, so I was the third child in my family, and I'm the middle child. And I was always the one that my parents used to put between my older brother and sister to stop them from fighting. Every time we go on a trip, in the car, I would be stuck in the middle. And the reason I was stuck in the middle and I couldn't be beside a window was because they were using me to separate my brother and sister. And therefore, I was known in my family as the peacemaker. And so as I read through the Beatitudes when I was younger, in my teenage years, I used to wait for the seventh Beatitude which says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I used to think to myself, that's me. <laughs> I'm here. I will be called a son of God because I am the peacemaker in my family. The Beatitudes here describe the character of those who follow Jesus. But we must not confuse them as being eight distinct groups of people that we might find. They are not eight character traits that describe if you have made it in or not. It is not some sort of personality test that you can read through and think to yourself, well, I'm a peacemaker, that's me, or she's poor in spirit, or he hungers for righteousness. You can't use this list as a checkpoint to determine who is in or who is out of the kingdom of heaven. To do so would actually mean that you come to believe that good people will make it simply because of who they are and what they do. And this is no better 
than the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And so, friends, do not be like me and find the attribute here that best describes your nature and say, aha, I am in. I've done enough. Because to do this is to miss the whole point. These character traits given to us are done so as we follow Jesus because they are his character traits. He is describing his very own nature. So to have these qualities is to take on his nature and to follow in his likeness. We are blessed because we are imitating the one who has come, who is God with us. And so as people of God, we are blessed as a result of these qualities. We are the fortunate ones. But do not think that the world around us will see these blessings. The world around us considers these qualities as disgraceful and shameful. So what Jesus has described here before us is undoubtedly a reversal of what the world values. What the world sees as disgraceful and unappealing, Jesus explains, are the qualities that are to be valued. But as Christians, there's still different ways that we may respond to these qualities that Jesus says are blessed. One way, and I hope that you will see it this way, is to see them as they are, as blessings, and glorify God through them. Though it might be costly and painful, though we might hate the circumstance we find ourselves in, we will acknowledge and remember that this life is passing away, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and to long for the satisfaction that awaits us in heaven. Another way is to grumble, is to pity ourselves, to think that we have it tougher than the rest, to find ourselves asking questions like, why me, Lord? What did I do to deserve this? We can so easily forget what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We can forget that he is the one who we are imitating. We can forget that he knows what we are going through, and we can lose sight of what's in store for us in heaven. And if this is how you are feeling here today, know that there is grace for you. This Sermon on the Mount, these three chapters in front of us, is written for you. For we see here that we cannot do it on our own. We fail. But Jesus, Jesus succeeds on our behalf. And so do not lose heart, but 
be careful. Be careful that in your grumbling, you do not drift away. Be careful not to trade the qualities found here for those that the world esteems. Qualities that the world offers that will bring no comfort, no mercy, and no hope. We are blessed when we find ourselves having these qualities that the world despises. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The eighth and final blessing is so important that Jesus actually expands on it in the next verse, verse 11, but he changes it from blessed are those who are persecuted to blessed are you who are persecuted. Read with me verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I wonder whether or not you have ever felt like the odd one out. Just after Ella and I got married, uh, we had the great idea of taking Ella's family, my in-laws, to Papua New Guinea on a trip to show them where I grew up. And surprisingly, they all said yes, they wanted to go. And so off we went on a trip to PNG. Now the difference between the national Papuanians and my in-laws is undeniable. <laughs> Nationals in Papua New Guinea are short and black, and my in-laws are tall and Caucasian. They stand out like a sore thumb. And so when we arrived in Port Moresby, we were planning to head on another flight to Medang. But our flight got cancelled, and so after spending the night in Port Moresby, we found ourselves back at the airport very early in the morning with thousands of other nationals who were also trying to leave. It was chaos. There were no lines. There was no rhyme or reason to what was going on. It was a typical out-of-control airport. And eventually, we all found ourselves scattered throughout the terminal. We were all in various places, in random lines, hoping and praying that eventually we would make it to the front of the line where we could get some tickets to get out of there. And it just happened that I ended up being the first one to the front of the line. And when I got there, I said to the lady at the counter, who was all obviously flustered, I said, you have a problem here. <laughs> and in an attempt to get all my family over to where I was in this line, I pointed up towards the sea of people waiting in the terminal. And as you looked across the terminal, you could just see my in-laws <laughs> above the rest. And I said,
read completely. <laughs> See, when the world lifts its head up and looks out and sees us standing amongst the crowds, and when they recognize who we are as being different, there will be some who will turn and follow Jesus. But others will see us as a problem. And they will revile us. They will persecute us. They will utter all kinds of evil against us falsely. They will not see us as a solution. They will see us as part of the problem. And they will do it because we associate ourselves with Jesus. We seek the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. The way we live is obviously different to the world around us because the way we live is counter-cultural. We will stand out. What Jesus was saying to his disciples on that mountain back then was counter-cultural back then. And the way we live today is counter cultural today. And so do not fool yourselves. To accept and live under the authority of Jesus and his teaching will bear witness to him in this world. Let me say that again. To accept and live under the authority of Jesus and his teaching means that we will bear witness to him in this world. And just as he assures his disciples, he assures us too, persecution will come. Now persecution comes in many forms. It may come in the form of a sly remark that someone says behind your back. It may be the realization that you are not included in various activities. It can be acknowledging that you just don't fit in with your friends anymore. It can take the form of mocking, or beating, or abuse. And it can even lead to your death. But we are not alone. Did you notice what it said at the end of verse 11? For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We follow the example of a long line of persecuted prophets who came before us. But more than this, the very one who tells us we are blessed because of persecution was persecuted himself. He was persecuted in order that we 
might be whole. Let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to be imitators of your Son, Jesus, who was despised and rejected by men, who came and lived, and who became as one from whom men hide their face, being despised and rejected. Let us never forget that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows on the cross, being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And through his death as the only true righteous one, he makes us who are unworthy be accounted as righteous. And so help us, Lord, to rejoice and be glad, knowing with full assurance that our reward is great in heaven. Help us to long for the day when we will see you in all your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you might like to take a few minutes to consider what was said. You might like to ask a question using slido.com. And the band will be up shortly to sing our next song.